Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to... Is, look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so... Um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but... But we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just, it's, they're just, there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars for our special Bathurst edition. And unlike uh, previous years, we've gone all out. The budget has been blown and joining us on the line, Richard Crowell from... Speed Week, and uh, well, Richard, great to have you ready and, I guess, willing and able to give us your famous Bathurst tip at the end of tonight's yeah, show. Famous because I got it right once, but, uh, but only because I went to Craig Lounge, so don't expect me to deviate too far from that trend. Thank you, Craig. Nice to be here. And from speedcafe.com, it's Stefan Bartholomeus. G'day, Craig. How are you? I'm going well. You are, of course, first with the news and the first man in Bathurst from the contingent. So it's uh, great to hear what's been going on there today with the parades and uh, so on and so forth. From SEN's On The Grid, it's Tony Shebecki. Good evening, Craig. Obviously, the budget was spent before you got to me, but that's fine. Happy to be here. (laughs) Peter Norton's from Inside Motorsport. Peter, it's going to be an interesting weekend, particularly if the weather in this Southern Tablelands area is replicated up in the uh, Central West. I've been uh, watching the weather forecast with a bit of interest and the the long range uh, forecast is for mostly sunny, thank goodness. So this uh, nasty weather that uh, a lot of people have been experiencing looks like it's going to improve. Mm. Fingers crossed. Particularly for those of us who might be camping at the mountain. Mark Fogarty from Fairfax and, of course, supercars.com.au and V8X magazine of late. Good evening, folks. It's so good to be here, Craig. I love this show, as you know. I'm so happy to be back and in such august company. And you know that every time you say that, it makes the uh, promo. So I thank you for that as well. Look, Am let- I getting residuals? Yes, you are getting probably ten times what you got on your previous appearance. Wow. Mm. Okay, drinks are on me up at Bathurst, boys. Yes. <laughs> when you motion, when you multiply ten by zero, it's uh, you know it sounds impressive we're at the time. Yeah. Whilst we're talking about tens, ten years since the death of Peter Brock, and I guess starting with you, folks. Where is motorsport now and, and supercars in the public opinion 10 years on? Public opinion, that's an interesting phrase. Public popularity, I would have to think, is a lot bigger back then, even though it lacks the sheer number of personalities, personalities that you had back in the 70s and, and the 80s. But it's a bigger sport now simply because of, of the numbers of watching supercars, particularly, and also Formula One and MotoGP. Um, the audience is huge, but it's largely a passive audience, as in, you know, they're not going to the racetrack in huge numbers, apart from the really big events. So I, I would think, it, yes, it's grown to some extent, but as I was saying, lacking the big personalities that you had in the 70s and the 80s. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, Peter Brock, of course, Alan Moffat, Dick Johnson, Alan Grice. 
even Colin Bond and their ilk. Peter Norton, uh, 10 years ago, of course, I was heading off over to Europe. I recorded, what was it, four or five shows and left you to do the news segment. And right before the first one was, of course, Peter's death, which we then were in the awkward position where we had X amount of round tables and no mention of that event, but you covered beautifully in the news segment that entire time. Where are you sitting at now, 10 years on? Well, Craig, uh, yes, you, you threw me quite a challenge there, uh, uh, leading me to deal with uh, such a, an important news story that, uh, that occurred. Hasn't it changed a great deal in the 10 years? Uh, 10 years ago, I think we're in that, that second half of the, uh, the, the helicon days of the, the red versus blue of V8 supercars. And we've had the, the expansion. Uh, Nissan have, uh, have joined and are sticking around. Um, uh, Erebus came in with the, the Mercedes badge, which has faded away. Uh, and we're still talking about further diversifying and uh, evolving even away from V8s. So I think the sport has changed dramatically. Uh, and it had to because the, the audience is getting trickier. Uh, the way they consume their motorsport is very different. Uh, so uh, it's almost chalk and cheese. Mm. Richard, motorsport 10 years ago and motorsport... A participant has left the group call. Jeez. <laughs> if that's what you think. And which participant was that, I wonder? Keep it in. Keep it in. Let's keep rolling. <laughs> uh, you wonder why I love this thing. <laughs> Don't get this anywhere else. <laughs> Richard, 10 years ago, motorsport across the board, would you feel it was healthier outside of supercars than it is now? Uh, that's a difficult question because what do you judge health on? Do you judge health on grid sizes? Um, in which case, probably yes, because I think we'd all agree they're down across the board. Um, do, we, do we judge that on level of available talent? Um, it would be hard to argue that there's not an enormous amount of talented drivers out there, but maybe the opportunity for them is uh, lesser now than perhaps it was 10 years ago. Or is it? It's a really tough question, Craig, and I'm, I don't know if I'm qualified enough to give you a straight-out answer. Um, I honestly don't know. Well, you've certainly, over that 10 years, been in and around a lot of the support grids. What's the gut feeling? What are the people telling oh, you? Well, in support category land... In my experience of being involved in that first before I had an involvement in the main game is that right now is the hardest it has ever been to successfully fund A, a racing team in support category racing and B, actually run a race series because the costs now are probably 30% or 40% more than what they were 10 years ago. So if, if that's the judge, then it is in a more difficult position than it was. But... At the same time, the level of competition is still exceedingly high across the board in a lot of the key support categories. Mm. Now, it's fair to say in the 10 years it's been Craig Lowndes at the top of the tree and then the rest of the field in the public opinion well behind. And that's probably why it's there's so much interest in a character like Peter Brock. And the TV series is out now. Speed Cafe, you've had a look at it, Stefan. What do you think of the uh, brand-new series? Yeah, it's one of those things where you've got to uh, take into account what they're trying to do uh, before you start watching it. It's not a factual recount of his racing career. It's a dramatised look at his life in general. 
So it's it's aimed at the general public, not the hardcore motorsport fan. And a lot of people that listen to this show that will uh, pick out errors in it and uh, maybe bemoan it a little bit. But I think for what it is, it uh, it ticks the box. It's an entertaining um, couple of hours viewing, and it uh, puts the same motorsport in the in the limelight of prime time. So um, I think it's, it's worth a watch for sure. Stefan, of course, you at the uh, cutting edge of the new media frontier. At Speed Cafe, that has been a huge change over the last 10 years. Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, I wasn't in it 10 years ago, so I'm not the best person to be commenting on how it's changed, but certainly um, certainly from where it is now, people can get their information um, pretty quickly, which uh, brings with it its own challenges for those involved. But, um, yeah, it's, it's changed a lot, as you say. Mm. All right. Now, folks, the TV series with uh, with Peter Brock... Is this going to help interest in particularly supercars, because that's what we're talking about, but motorsport in general, or is it not going to make a brass rizou of difference? Not, not much difference at all. I don't think it will certainly educate a new generation about Peter Brock and his legend. And unlike Stefan, I haven't um, seen a preview, but I, I can imagine um, that a lot of people who know little about Peter Brock other than the name and that he's famous, will be surprised and fascinated by the story. But in terms of a bonanza of interest in contemporary motorsport, I, w- I wouldn't think so. You know, it'll be a, a good story, a great story, well told, I would imagine. You know, we have to remember it's not a documentary. It's a dramatisation of his career, Um it's hard for enthusiasts sometimes to sit through dramatisations of events, you know, just as there was a lot of criticism among enthusiasts about Rush, and I'm sure that NASCAR enthusiasts were appalled by Days of Thunder. But Days of Thunder is a great example because it sparked a huge upsurge in interest in NASCAR stock car racing in the United States, but it was, and that's because it was roughly contemporary. I don't see Brock doing that, but he'll certainly raise a lot of interest in him and and the history of the sport. But a direct benefit? No, not really. I have to say, as far-fetched as Days of Thunder seemed, there was a lot of things that they showed off the track that I either participated in my own team or saw other teams participating in. So, it, it yeah, it was a lot closer than a lot of people realised to what was actually going Craig, on. Are you, are you talking about the same where... Cole Trickle teaches uh, Nicole Kidman about drafting, or? (laughs) There is a lot of things that I have seen myself that have paralleled that movie. And enough said. Well, it was a a great box office success, you know. It spread the NASCAR message to a huge new audience. So um, while it may not have been critically acclaimed, it was hugely successful. Mm. Shebexter, since you were the one that disappeared and rejoined, we, I didn't get to ask you, is motorsport in a better position now than, say, the Richmond Tigers were 10 years ago? Oh, very funny, Craig. They haven't been good for 32 years, so that's a, 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 an oxymoron of a question, that one. Uh, no, motorsport, I think, is in a better position, but I agree with folks. Definitely lacking personalities. The corporate speak has definitely come into motorsport over the last three or four years, hasn't it? And since we've lost guys like Ingle and Murphy, the sort of the last bastions, I suppose, of uh, saying what they wanted to say whenever they wanted to say it. 
Uh, yeah, it all seems to have just been a little bit sanitised, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, motorsport, when we get our press conferences and when we get our interviews. Love talking to the guys, there's no dramas there, but trying to get something out of them is uh, a little bit tough. And I suppose, thank God for guys like Gary Rogers and those sort of blokes who still speak their mind a little bit. Mm. I think uh, Stephen Richards, when he stops racing, is going to have some great yarns for us all. Uh, but I think at the moment he's in a position where uh, uh, it still uh, has to be PC about things. But, guys, we'll take a break here. Plenty of news that we've got to get through before the Bathurst preview here on Inside Supercar. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, rest of the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Colton. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where, well, it's a plethora of uh, talent here. Peter Norton, Fogues, we've got Stefan Bartholomeus, Richard Crail, and uh, Tony Shebecki. And guys, what's Tanda's future? I would start with Richard Crail. Is he just going to be running a Formula Ford team next year, or is there something in the wind? Well, I would ask uh, my esteemed colleagues who report on the future of supercar drivers of a daily basis, like Bogues and Stefan, but uh, I would be pretty surprised if he wasn't driving next year, and he's still clearly good enough to do the job, and his experience would be tremendous for a team that is looking to build... um, and looking to develop a program alongside a younger driver, perhaps. So um, I'd be I'd be shocked if he wasn't uh, on the grid. But um, and at the very least, as a, a gun co-driver for the Enduros at the end of the year. But um, I would turn this answer over to Stefan or Fogs on this because I bet that they're far better informed than I am on this one. Either of you can answer. Well, I have an opinion, and Richard, I wouldn't mind betting that he. Uh, could appear in GT racing next year. Isn't that a big chance? He's pretty tight with the Audi team, and I've heard that um, he'd be a big chance to be an Audi factory driver. It would seem like a a good alternative for him, and as you pointed out, I mean, he'd be a walk-up start as an endurance race co-driver, so that wouldn't surprise me, but equally, I understand that Garth will still be working away at trying to get a full-time supercars drive. He's been linked with Gary Rogers Motorsport. I think that idea may have cooled somewhat from um, initial interest. Um, but otherwise, in supercars, where else would he want to go? It could only be way, way down from there. Mm. Stefan? Isn't this it, sort of, I was going to say, boys, isn't this like a little bit of a Mark Webber type scenario? Of when he uh, left the Red Bull team and, of course, then went into world endurance driving. Uh, just that total change of scenery just seemed to work so well for him. And maybe it's time for Garth to look at a, uh, a different type of uh, formula and uh, just see whether that can reinvigorate his, uh, his driving ability. And say, I'm saying that off the back of the fact that he won Sandown. But for the remainder of the year, there hasn't been too much on offering in regards to podium spots. So maybe he does need a bit of a change. Yeah, I think it's um, 
fairly well what Bones was saying out there, that Darth will have options to stay with the eight, but it's whether he wants to take those options, whether a seat at an Erebus or an LDM for someone that previously was earning well over half a million at the factory holding team, whether he wants to go down there in the pit lane or if he'd prefer to link up with Audi, do some uh, endurance go-drives that are uh, quite well paid and give him a chance to win some assets and all the rest of the stuff. Um, I could definitely see him uh, pulling up stumps full-time and choosing that. Mm. Well, Peter, you are probably the uh, financial analyst amongst us. I guess, does the decision that Garth makes be heavily based upon where he set himself up in his previous years of motor racing? We we all know that he wasn't a big fan of doing a lot of uh, sponsors' appearances, so that does mean that comparatively to some of his teammates, he would have been taking home a slightly smaller cheque. Yes, I, I think you're on the money there perfectly, that... Uh uh, but I think also he's been quietly uh, managing his affairs under the radar. Uh, I would imagine that um, he has a, a fairly, uh, fairly good nest egg there. Um, so I don't think he'd be desperate to chase the, the dollars as such, which is just as well because the dollars just aren't in the sport anymore to maintain those previous pay packets. Um, I, I think that uh, rather than getting paid less, and having a really hard season uh, trying to develop a, a lesser team, a lesser resource team, uh, I think it has to be a, a pretty good option to uh, have a, a, a good recurring gig in GT, like has been uh, suggested, and go into one of the really strong teams for the endurance races. Because um, really that's the, the, the choice. If you want a chance at winning with one of the big ones, you really have to sacrifice the rest of your year now if you don't justify a position with the leading team full-time. And, of course, you'd have to wonder if he has any international aspirations because uh, the paycheck over there, folks, is a bit bigger than what it is here and it's not as many races. Well, thus far and recently, he's hardly been on Struggle Street. (laughs) He was getting a big earn from Holden Racing teams, particularly... um, with his first renewal following James Courtney's arrival, because once he got a sniff of the fact that Courtney was there on, well, possibly the best part of a million, he certainly upped his rate and they paid it, so he was probably up around the near $700,000 a year mark um, in in recent years, so he certainly wasn't struggling. Um, Whether he'd get paid big money overseas... I doubt it. He's just not that big a name over there. He'll, you know, he'll possibly get some drives over there. Um, but whether he would be sought after just because of the fact that he's Garth Kander, um ex or almost ex supercar driver, and even though he's a multiple Bathurst winner, um, I think on the verge of forty, I don't see them throwing themselves at him. He would pick up drives over there because. You know, of his reputation and his competency, but uh, whether they be beating a path to his door, I, I, I couldn't see that. And that's, you know, that's not so much a reflection. That's not a reflection on his calendar ability or potential, but it's just a reality. Mm. He, I think, he, he's got at least one Bathurst twenty-four hour. So that's always good on your resume when you're going for those super enduros, guys. 
we'll change tack now and the return of the Supergirls. Stefan, what's the realistic expectations of Simona and Rene in the Ultima? Well, I think it's a Simona did a great job of working her way up to speed in a quite a methodical fashion. And by the time we got to the last practice session, which was dry, obviously qualifying was rain-affected. She was only a couple of tenths away from from the back of the, the regular drivers. So you would hope that she would maybe be able to knock off a couple of those low-lying fruit. Um, you wouldn't expect she'd be able to drag the car very far up the grid. But um, that will be sort of a key indicator, and that's what she's been pretty open about as the as the yardstick where she can put it on the grid, and then uh, in the race a lot of variables, including how Renee goes. She obviously stuck it in the fence early last year, which uh, really put that day. So um, yeah, being competitive and just finishing the race, I think would be uh, would be the boxes tick there. Mm. What do we read in? Richard, to the fact that they're not in an FPR, yeah, a PRA car this year, that they have made the move over to Nissan. Oh, the commercial deal was probably better. I mean, that that's that's got to be a, a key criteria, surely. Um, and and obviously, there's probably something in the in the waters about where Simona will end up. As for their expectation uh, for this weekend, it, it's get to the finish um, and get to the finish with a. A solid performance, keep the car out of the wall, and um, and for Simona especially, it's it's game game miles, and this is all great testing for becoming a full time driver next year, and it really is not a huge amount more about that, um, as far as I'm concerned. Get to the finish, learn, and um, and make sure Simona's good to go when she's a full time driver next year. Mm. Now, Tony, where do you think's likely finishing position? Lucky enough to chat to Simona last weekend uh, after her Nissan test, and she's a really confident girl, isn't she? And she uh, she knows what she wants in life, and that's that's fantastic. Look, I think if they finish top twenty, I reckon they'd be pretty happy with that. Uh, got to the finish line, finish top twenty. I reckon uh, you, you know that's that's probably about the best that they could expect from uh, two very part-time drivers in uh, this senior category. All right, Peter Norton, top, middle, or bottom third. Uh, I think they'd be uh, bottom third, but uh, the, the, the pointy end of the bottom third, if that makes any sense. Um, we spoke earlier about whether the Peter Brock uh, TV series would do much to increase interest in supercars. I think Simona might trigger the interest. Mm. Uh, it's bound to get lots of uh, publicity. I'm sure that uh, if Harvey Norman uh, continued to be involved throughout next year, that there'll be lots of cross-promotion. Um, this could be a real shot in the arm for the sport to, to cut through the, the clutter that is media these days and um, it could create a lot of uh, very good interest. Mm. So, folks, where's your expectation of the Supergirls' performance and what's is Simona going to make a dent in the permanent grid next year? 15th would be exceptional. And that, realistically, in a normal race, is as high as they can aim. Um, they may benefit if it's a you know a crazy race or a high attrition. Um, then you couldn't rule out you know sneaking into the top ten, but it would be by good fortune, not performance. This is just you know race two at the beginning of a long learning curve for Simona. She's regarded as a very more than a very competent racer who could 
establish herself here as a truly competitive driver, regardless of gender. Of gender, um, and you know, fifteenth, you know, would be a good performance. Wouldn't be exceptional, really, despite me describing it as that. Because if, if you think, when where did they finish last year after their horror run? It was twenty first, wasn't it? I think. Mm. So yeah, or there or thereabouts. So that's what I'm saying. If attrition comes into play, um, it could make a big difference. She will certainly next year attract a lot of new interest in supercars. And if she proves to be competitive and adapts and is in the right team in the right car, um, she could actually strike a very big blow um, for, A, popularising the sport, and, B, for women in motorsport or you know, getting top drive. But it'll be a long, hard road, and I really think we're not going to see her true form if it's there until at least probably the second half of the second season, and then it won't be till the third year that we really know. But it's quite exciting. There are two teams apparently in the running for her services, most obviously Nissan, and I think that's her most likely destination. But I understand that PRA somehow are still in the reckoning or in the running, I, I, I don't know how they're going to, short of her adopting a New Zealand accent, I don't know how they're going to squeeze her in there, but they're apparently in the running. Well, let's face it, folks, Switzerland is neutral. But it's not New Zealand and Superback Racing <laughs> officially. Still has a mandate to be a New Zealand team, yes, we shall see. So does our current Prime Minister, uh, uh, allegedly, but... Uh, Mandates are there to be uh, levied at whichever direction they need at the time. A break here on Inside Supercars more when we return. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where Tony Shebecki, Peter Norton, Mark Fogarty, Stephen Bartholomeus, and also Richard Crail are me to... Well, we will preview Bathurst shortly, I can assure you. But I must admit, I thought it might be a bit fiery. Perhaps the schedule can fire us up. Stephen, Newcastle, the right way to end of the year? Yeah, well, you sort of teasing everyone. I think everyone wants to talk about this car race at Bathurst this weekend. We're talking about 2017 and all sorts of other things. So that's why we're not fired up. But um, <laughs> yeah, obviously supercars absolutely were pushing very hard to get another uh, street race in New South Wales up to replace Sydney Olympic Park, which was too expensive for supercars to keep operating year after year. They were burning too much money on that. And yeah, they've got it done in a region there in Newcastle that going by the other example even Adelaide as a smaller capital um, looks like it's got all the ingredients. Mm. Yeah, as long as you uh, ignore... Exactly what they wanted. 
as long as Stefan, as long as you ignore the Grand Prix history, which has a huge impact on what happens at uh, Clipsal. Uh, Peter, when there's five other governments that have very well detailed reports saying that supercar racing is not good value for money, why does Newcastle get up? Uh, because Clipsal works. I think that is the, the big difference to the, uh, the repeated experiments that haven't worked. Um, yeah, Canberra didn't work. It was the middle of winter. Uh, Hamilton didn't work in New Zealand um, because I think it was a, a smaller regional city and it didn't really have a, a landscape to showcase. Um, I think Newcastle could be different. It's got the, the parkland uh, sort of layout, so it'd be better for the fans. Uh, and it'll have a, a stunning landscape that uh, people can see on the TV. Uh, the helicopter shots should be magnificent. Uh, I think it's a, a fair chance of actually working. Um, it's whether they can create the uh, the total party atmosphere and the connection to the restaurant district and those sorts of things that Clipsal does so well. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a better candidate than some of the other stuff we've had. Mm. Well, f- uh, folks, when Wellington, that did have a touring car history says it's not financially viable is Newcastle. It won't be financially viable. None of them except the Clipsal 500 and Adelaide are or ever have a hope of being financially viable. <laughs> and, excuse me, and that starts right at the top with the Australian Formula One Grand Prix at Albert Park, which is the biggest money loser of all time. Clipsal is a freak. It's a perfect storm of a major capital city that's just big enough to have weight of population, but still small enough that when the V8s, when the supercars come to town, it's the biggest thing that happens in that city. So it works and works fantastically. On the back, you have to admit, though, on the back of the legacy that was left behind by the original Formula One World Championship Grand Prix in Adelaide. But it's a one-off. The rest of them burn money. But where they gain is not economically, but in profile. Mm. They put cities on the map in the public eye in Australia, or they're one means of doing that. So, and and also those big, I don't know, are they big country towns or little cities? Anyway, they embrace these races as Townsville has, and I'm sure Newcastle will. So, economically, is it worth it? No. In all conscience, good conscience, you could never argue that they are, that they are. The money would be better spent on education and and the and the, the health system, clearly. But in a in a bigger picture of promoting a city, um, these things do work. Mm. All right, Richard. Uh, final thought from you on uh, Newcastle. Oh, I, I, I've got nothing more I can add than what my esteemed colleagues have already said. I, I think it'll work for all of the reasons that have already been listed and that uh, for the pure fact that the racetrack looks like it's going to be a good racetrack, which is often overlooked with street circuits that can be pokey messes with two narrow streets and no overtaking opportunities. But um, the first comments I saw on social media when they unveiled the track map was everyone going, oh, gee, it looks a bit like Adelaide, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> and Adelaide, I think, and I'm probably biased, but that's all right, uh, is arguably the best street circuit around for actually going motor racing. Forget about all the other stuff. The actual product on track, there are places to overtake. And on paper, Newcastle looks like it uh, It could be very, very good. So 
if the on-track product's good, that goes a long way to making sure that the rest of the event is a success. Mm. All right, we'll take a break and then come back. And since Stefan asked for it, he's going to get it. We're going to talk Bathurst right after this. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. For Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas, there actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. And uh, Tony Shebecki, I know that we are time poor when it comes to your availability, so... What can we expect from this year's race? Well, if Sandown's any indication, uh, Craig, I think we can expect a really, really good race. we got some fantastic racing at Sandown, and we've got a, another different winner, which was great as well. So uh, yeah, if that's any indication, it's going to be a good race. Is Sandown an indication of what's going to happen at Bathurst? Not always, because the, uh, the conditions can be so different. Having said that, we did get some rain at Sandown as well. The, the track's totally different, and the pressure... The, uh, the, that pressure gauge for drivers just goes up even further again. So uh, I, I think we can probably expect in... I'd like to say that in the year, in the 12 months where we've seen a lot of teams who have done the unexpected get up and win, and I speak, of course, of Leicester City, I speak, of course, of the Western Bulldogs, I speak, of course, of the Cronulla Sharks and even the, the Cavs in the basketball, teams that uh, hadn't done anything for a long, long time and finally got up. I'd like to think that maybe, hopefully Bathurst might produce the same. We might see a rank outsider who uh, has never had any success uh, of sort maybe get up. But I'd like to see that, but I don't think it'll happen. I think we'll probably see one of the Triple Eight cars take it out. Peter Norton, do you have any different expectations from this year's race? Well, I was watching the weather with a great deal of interest. Um, we'll be uh, camped up there uh, uh, so uh, very nervous about uh, cold and wet as the weather has been lately. The, the great news is that uh, Sunday, uh, partly cloudy and 23 is the forecast. The only uh, a bit of uh, rain that is in the forecast is a shower or two developing on the Saturday. Uh, so maybe the uh, the shootout could be uh, rain affected. Uh, that just throws in a, a few more variables, I guess. Um, but the, the race itself, uh, hopefully it's a, a, a nice, clean, fast one that doesn't have uh, you know, too many external factors on it. Uh, I think the, the Red Bull cars definitely are in form. And uh, I think it's time for Van Gisbergen to uh, uh, put to rest some of the demons of past years. Uh, he's got the ability. He just needs a few things to come together for him. Mm. Now, Stefan, is new engineering going to help David Reynolds try and repeat his at least shootout win of last year? Wow, that is not the Bathurst preview question I expected from you, Craig, to be honest. Uh, David Reynolds is obviously in a quite a different position than he was um, than he was 12 months ago. Uh, the car was quick on Sunday in Townsville. And other than that, it's been a very, very hard slog. So um, I think you'll need to be Superman to uh, to make that rig go quicker than the Triple Eight cars this weekend. So will Techno be a... A, a better than an outside chance of a win after Dave got on the podium at Sandown. 
Um, certainly they're one of the couple you'd put in as the dark horses behind the AAA cars, the leading ProDrive cars and HRT cars, but it would still be a surprise if a little team like Techno won the race. They're, they do a they do a good job on their day, but um, they're playing with a slightly smaller tennis racket than AAA are, so um, I think that's that's one of the things that perhaps not to not to denigrate Techno at all, but is an advantage for Craig Lowndes and Stephen Richards that they're sharing a boom with with that car, whereas the Wink Up and Van Giesbergen cars are fitted against each other. And uh, we've been waiting all year for those two to potentially come together on track, but I think the intensity in that double eight ninety seven garage when they're playing off track position and, and fuel in hand towards end of Sunday's race is, is going to be epic. So that's, that's what I'm looking forward to, mate. What are you expecting then? Yeah, I'm expecting it to be a really intense race at the front. Um, track position is is pretty critical, but as we saw last year, um, the ProDrive guys made a track position play with a short fuel uh, with two stops to go, and Craig just, just got him back at the last one. So, it, um, yeah, it's going to be all about how they're positioned for the last couple of spins. Um, and I think that Triple Eight, as everyone has said, are going to be pretty hard to beat, and it's very difficult to three to three cars in all right, Fogues. Whether you're talking about quality or the race, it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty intense. Fogues, what about you? What what are you hoping for? What do you think is going to surprise us? Who knows? Well, I'm asking it's you. Going to be no, but for the last several years, the Bathurst 1000 has just been a ripping race, and most of them have gone down to the wire. So expect the unexpected. There will be heroics, there'll be tragedies, there'll be bungles galore. You know, it's all going to go off, probably. Um, so form goes out the window. But if you, you know, if you look at it logically, I, I agree with the prevailing sentiment that it's going to be a battle between the two Red Bull Racing Commodores of Jamie Wincup and Shane Van Gisbergen. They will figure. In qualifying, they'll figure in the shootout. I probably would veer towards Van Gisbergen as winning the pole. And although I would actually like Scott McLaughlin in the Volvo to win the race, I think that would be a great result. Or, or another semi-outsider, you know, even a, you know, Craven Coulthard in the DJR Team Penske Falcon. The reality is that it's probably, no, it will certainly be Jamie Wincup there or thereabouts near the end, probably battling with SVG. And I'll, I've got to make a decision, haven't I? So I reckon Van Gisbergen to win, but boy, you'll have to work for it. All right. Now, Richard, you got a trifecta two years ago now, three years ago now. You've got the, yeah. the winner a couple of years later, probably last year because you said Lowndes again. Who, who, what are you expecting from this year's race? We're, we're not going to expect the track to break up. That's one thing. We're not expecting a six and a half, seven hour race. No, but, but the, well, the beauty of no. Bathurst, as, as folks so eloquently said, is that you just never know. And that's why we all keep coming back, isn't it? Because it's just the most unpredictable 
six and a half to eight hours that you get on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and the, the weather's a variable, strategy is a variable. I thought Stefan's point on the the Red Bull stuff is going to be interesting. I sort of caught through the, the Fox Sports pop-up channel this week some of the races where uh, Craig Lowndes in one year, that year that he narrowly lost to Garth Tander and Nick Perkett, lost 35 seconds over the course of the day, stacking behind his Triple Eight teammate. And the result might have been very, very different, and he might be a seven-time winner now because of that. And again, the following year in the 50th anniversary race, he lost time stacking behind Wink Up again. So I thought that point was very salient about the two Red Bull cars being potentially compromised uh, towards the end. So if it is a fight between Triple Eight cars in the closing stages of the race, and a lot of us think obviously that it will be, I don't think it'll be between both Red Bull cars. I think it'll be between one of the Red Bull cars and whoever's got truck position towards that final stop. Uh, and the, the Craig Lowndes, Stephen Richards car. Um, but I, I, like folks said, I would love to see Scott McLaughlin get a win. And, and more to the point, I'd love to see Gary Rogers get a win because I'd be interested to see what his speech would be to Volvo, given what's gone on with his team over the last 12 months and what sort of comment he would make, given their uh, imminent withdrawal from the sport and if he delivers them a Bathurst victory a few months before they pull the pin. So that would be the fairy tale underdog Western Bulldog story, but it's going to be very difficult to beat one of those uh, Roland Dane run Commodores. Peter Norton, what's the likelihood of Triple Eight having two Red Bull cars and a Caltex car on the podium at the end of this race? You'd have to say it's about oh, 10,000 to one. Uh, they've got the form, they've got the equipment, they've got all of the ingredients. The Bathurst week is just too long. There's too many laps. There'd be a thousand laps between the three cars across the uh, the, the four days of action. Um, there's uh, 23 other cars to uh, run into them. There's countless kangaroos. Uh, there's uh, wild weather that gets thrown at you. It would be an absolutely remarkable thing to do one, two, three. So. Uh, uh, it's something we'll watch. Um, it's definitely something that they'll try for. Uh, they've got the credentials. There's just too many variables. I, I don't think it's possible. Fogs, HRT, give them any hope? I give them some hope. It looks on the basis of recent performances that they could reclaim some, not all, but some of their previous form at Mount Panorama. And I think you probably wouldn't be wasting your money if you if you put a wager on James Courtney's car, that combination, but will they be among the favourites? No. I think the ones that we shouldn't be discounting this this time around are ProDrive Racing Australia, mainly because we're going back onto the hard tyre and that's that team's strength. They've struggled this season on the soft tyres. They've just been nowhere. So it's looks like it could be their salvation to go back to Bathurst on hard tyres and they can suddenly reclaim, regain, I should say, some of the dominant performance that they had previously. So Chaz Mostert, he's got a lot to prove up there after his big, big shunt last year. And Mark Winterbottom, who's essentially out of the running to defend his championship, he wants to make a big statement. So I'd certainly be looking at... um, PRA's front-running cars as um, much, much more than dark horses 
I would imagine that they'll push the combined Triple Eight force quite hard. Mm. Well, a break and we'll wrap it all up here on Inside Supercars right after this. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars here as we wrap up this uh, mega Bathurst preview. And Stephen Bartholomew, uh, Speed Cafe, right across the weekend, speedcafe.com, right across the weekend. What have you got in line for the uh, the avid supercar enthusiast? Well, it would probably be foolhardy for me to uh, reveal it all now, Craig, but... Uh... Yeah, obviously we'll be uh, keeping across what's going on on and off track, um, as is as is the game. And um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting race with uh, Triple Eight and Pro Drive leading the way. Mm. Now ahead of Bathurst, Stefan, who can still win this championship? Is there five guys in your opinion? Two guys in your opinion that are serious contenders? Knowing that there's 300 points up for grab this weekend, so no pressure. So much racing to go. So someone like Mark Winterbottom is only 340 points down. It kind of sounds like a lot, but there's a lot of points on offer. But his main drama has been has been speed. I don't think he's started a race in the top 10 for the last uh, couple of events. So uh, that's more of a concern than exactly what the points equations are. So yeah, like Frosty and, and Scotty Mack are still well in it uh, mathematically, but yeah, to be realistic, I can't see anyone climbing over the top of the Triple Eight boys, and particularly the two Red Bull drivers. So I think it's definitely uh, Jamie versus Shane to the end. Peter Norton, who can still win the championship from here? I think you have to go with the, the momentum, the, the form guide. It's saying it's between the two Red Bull cars. Um, much earlier in the season, we had a great deal of variety of who was winning. Those days are gone. They've, they've, it's back to business as usual. It's uh, one of the Red Bulls. All right, Tony Shebecki, your thoughts. Who will have the poll for Friday night, the shootout, and who wins the race? Uh, well, you've already said Lowndes early in the show, so I guess you're not going to change your tune now. No, uh, well, I didn't say Lowndes. I said a triple eight car oh. would win. Uh, just because he has a triple eight number doesn't mean he's the only one. Uh, it could have been one of the, the uh, Red Bull cars as well. But uh, who, will be, uh, who will hold the fastest time on Friday qualifying? I think that might go to, to go with uh, Mark Winterbottom. I think uh, at the end of the shootout, I think it's going to be Scott McLaughlin and winning the race. Uh, yeah, well, let's go for Lowndes and Richards. All right, then. I'm sorry I talked you into it. Folks? I still keep saying that more than ever this year, Bathurst will all but decide the championship, whoever of the title contenders. And really, we're now down to three and even more realistically, down to two. But whoever leaves Bathurst with the biggest score between Wincup and Van Gisbergen, or I'll still include Lowndes, 
that will set the tone for the rest of the year and it'll it'll prove crucial. It always is, every year, but I think this year the stakes are much higher and it's all going to turn on who's standing, who of those three are standing highest on the podium on Sunday evening. Richard? Yeah, I, I agree completely with folks. Bathurst is going to have a huge role, 300 points up for grabs. I still think Lowndes is in it right up until that checkered flag drops. If he's in front of Wink Up and Ben Gisberg at the end of Sunday, he's still a contender. If he's not, it's down to those two. Simple as that. Mm. Well, thank you all for joining us here on Inside Supercars. Uh, Fogues, I imagine this weekend with the uh, end of the main football codes, the start of the lesser ones, we'll be uh, seeing you in print hopefully a few more column inches than normal. Reasonably big coverage is planned across the Fairfax media titles in the physical papers, but also across their digital platforms. Um, Yeah, it hasn't been quite as simple as you might think. There's been a lot going on in the background recently, but it's all back on track, and I'll be endeavouring to provide my usual... Well, it's not volume... I like to think it's considered coverage, so you'll get a bit of a different perspective from um, the way I present the stories. But, yes, it'll be there, and I'll be dragging my big bag of scoops up there behind me to dole out over the next few days. Oh, a big bag of scoops. Does that, yeah, is, no. that, is that the gauntlet <laughs> being thrown down to one Stephen Bartholomew, I wonder? No, it's been tongue-in-cheek, actually. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We always look for scoops, don't we, Stefan? But have to go looking under a lot of rocks before you find them. Yeah, but definitely the idea is to take the scoops away from the track rather than bringing them to the weekend. I think that's, <laughs> that's the sign that you're making it up, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I can exclusively reveal I didn't have a scoop for us this weekend. <laughs> no change there, then. Oh, <laughs> When it comes with exclusively reveal, it just means, uh, well, I better not go, though. Thank you, Peter Norton. Uh, Thank you, Craig. Thank you, everyone. Shebexter, SEN, on the grid Sunday morning. But what about throughout the weekend for those who uh, can catch it online or, of course, are in the Melbourne region? Yeah, plenty of of coverage right throughout the the afternoon on Saturday and Sunday with uh, the top 10 shootout after 5 o'clock on Saturday and then uh, block coverage right throughout from 10 past 11, or on the grid from 8 till 10, and then uh, block coverage from 10 past 11 right through until 6 on 11.16 SEN. So if you're away from your tally and you want to have a listen to what's happening on the radio then uh, or on your phone, yeah, you can tune in to us and uh, we'll uh, bring you right up to date. Thanks, Tony Shebecki, for your time here on Inside Supercars tonight. Crowley, of course, Speed Week will have all of uh, the coverage of the uh, rest of the Shannons Nationals and uh, everything else that you're involved with. Yes, it will. Uh, by the way, McLaughlin to be on pole and Lowndes and Richo to win the race because you didn't ask. There you go. Oh, well, you didn't <laughs> bother to venture it out earlier either, but thank you for that. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Thank you.